Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Day Room Podcast. Today, I have a really good friend that I haven't spoken to in a long time. Uh, we didn't serve very long together, but she is going to give us some insight, um, not just from a soldier's perspective, but also um, from the view of a military spouse. She's currently a military spouse now as her husband's in the Army. Uh, please say what's up to Mashana Clark. Hey, Mashana, what's going on? Hey, good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So nearly four years in the Army specialist. Um, and we met at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And we'll get to that. But um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you originally from? So I am originally from Camden, New Jersey, uh, across the bridge from Philadelphia, uh, going into Pennsylvania. Let's see, born and raised there, uh, went back and forth between Camden and Pensalkin in my youth, but ultimately ended up staying in Camden. Um, so, I graduated from uh, Woodrow Wilson High School in 2000. I made it out. <laughs> <laughs> now, what was that other city you just said? What? Pensalkin. Um, Pensalkin. So Camden is, I hate to say it, but Camden is the hood in the first suburban, uh, suburban area right next to it. It's called Pensalkin. Okay. So you went back and forth between the hood and the suburbs. Yeah. We, we didn't get to stay in the burbs too, too long. But... Uh, <laughs> Or we had to go back over yonder, but yeah, we we had we had some times over there. Okay, and uh, Woodrow Wilson High School is that is that in Camden? It is. Okay, now tell me about the you know the years that you spent at at Woodrow Wilson. Like, what was it like? Was it typical hood living, diverse? So you know how they say like when you're young. You don't really know what's going on around you. And then all of a sudden it just feels like a bubble pops and you're in real the realization of life of what's occurring. Up until going to Wilson, I was in said bubble. Like I life was just happening around me. I was just a little, you know, teenager, do do do. Couldn't nobody, you know. And then all of a sudden I got sent from Pensalkin to Wilson. When I say I woke up, I woke up. <laughs> Put it like this. My first day of school, um, so Pensacola is a suburban, which they had their problems there. Um, but luckily, I was in the ninth grade. My older sister was in 12th grade, and she had already kind of been established over there, so they knew who she was and stuff like that. Um, but when I got sent to Wilson, they redrew the city lines. So that took our home address from out of the suburbs right on the on the edge over back into the inner city. Got and that's it. how I ended up going back to Woodrow Wilson. Um, let's say the first day of school, I got hit with a donut in the cafeteria. Still don't know who threw it at this day. I'm talking about good 30 mile per hour donut. Wow. Uh, it, Woodrow Wilson, I don't know how it is now. I, I'm, I would venture to say it's not too much more different than it was then. It's a very violent high school. It's, um, high pregnancy rates, gangs, drugs. Um, that's so how it was when you went? Yeah. So much to the point where there used to be like a daycare in the school and you would, it would be like a co-op type thing. Like you would take the class, but you technically would be down there if you had one, you know, a child that could possibly have been your own. At least that's from what I remember. I don't know how long that program lasted. Thank God I never needed to use it um, or need it. But as soon as I got to Wilson, I entered to um, JRTC. Okay. And that, so, you started that freshman year. 
I started JRTC my 10th grade year. Okay, 10th grade. And and before that, had you had any thought of, you know, JRTC or joining some branch of the military at all? No. So I I recall recruiters coming to Pensalking High. I don't recall them having a at that time a JRTC program. Okay. They were more on the marching band, sports, athletic type thing uh, at that school. And then at this school, it basically pretty much was just all sports. Like if that's if you had a niche, that's where you were going to go. Um, okay. It was, it was uh, big on basketball and football because for Camden, there was actually two high schools. There was Camden High and Woodrow Wilson, and they were like uh, competing, competing uh, high schools. Okay. And did you play any sports? Did. Yes, yes, yes. I did martial arts for all three years of my high school. I did Uh the drill team. Um, I did cheer for a little bit, not too long, because my boyfriend slash fiance, who turned into my husband, was like, eh, no. Uh, So I didn't do that for too long. (laughs) (laughs) But mainly I, I I did martial arts. I did American karate. Okay. You still practice? I do not. I do not. Uh, that fell by the wayside when I went into basic training. Okay. And now you did it for three years. What belt did you get up to? Let's see. There's white, yellow, orange, green, blue. I think mm-hmm. I stopped at blue. Yeah, I'm oh, pretty damn. sure I stopped at blue. So yeah. next was purple and then brown and black, right? Yeah. So you yeah. were close. You were more than halfway there. I was, I was, it it was something to keep me from being at home. Like there wasn't a lot of things we were, I was allowed to do as a child. uh, Cause we were, we were very, uh, my mom was very introverted, which, you know, then made us introverted because then we just stayed to ourselves in our little part of town. Yeah. But, um, that I couldn't get on the bus like to go to malls and stuff, but the high school was right behind my house. So I was able to go do there, go do my practices and come on back. Okay. So it kind of kept you out of trouble. Uh, yeah. Got it. You did elementary and middle school in Pentucky? No. So during my younger youth, I was in Camden. I joined, I went to Pensalkin for my younger years, I think starting at fourth or fifth grade. Okay. And then I was there until ninth grade and then back to Camden. Okay. You know, it's funny, um, the first time, because I've been to Philly once before, but I was young. I didn't realize how close um, Delaware, Jersey, and Pennsylvania were together. I I had no clue. And a couple years ago, I had to go to uh, Hershey for a soccer thing with my daughter. And I I was trying to to find I-76 coming out of the airport. And I remember seeing... um, Oh, you know, this way to Wilmington. And um, then I saw a sign for Six Flags and I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I was telling my daughter, I'm like, we got a few hours. Let's let's go see if we can hit all these states. I did not realize how close they were and how much different every place is when you cross those bridges. I'm from there and I can probably tell you, I didn't realize that until probably anywhere between 2013. No, about 2008 to 13, because I didn't get my driver's license until I joined the Army. Now, that's typical, though, out there, right? 
It is because you have so many different modes of transportation and stuff like that. You really didn't have to. But like I said, I literally was a homebound. I was a homebody. I didn't really, I didn't really care to go out and venture because I knew the dangers of being out walking around the town. So I just normally stayed at home um, for the most part. Like I said, my childhood, that route is kind of dull. JRTC got me out there mingling amongst the people because we had to do um, raider challenges. We had to do drill ceremony competitions. So like that was how I got to go out and travel out of the state. Woodrow Wilson High School was pretty, was it pretty diverse or was it just? Mm-hmm. We had Blacks, Puerto Rican, uh, Hispanics. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure we had some uh, different mixtures of uh, the Latino culture out there, but it was mainly Black, mainly Hispanic, some Asian, very little to no white. Yeah, that and that's what I noticed. Like, go down to Wilmington, completely different than like East Philly, going across the bridge to Camden. That it was just crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. When I go home, I still need GPS. I mean, I I don't I don't even go I don't even go to Camden. I only have one to maybe two relatives left in Camden, and one is my my ninety uh, two year old grandmother. And I used to tell her when I used to drive there, like on four days and stuff like that. And I used to tell her, I said, Grandma, if I can't park out in front of your house, I'm not stopping. Just be outside, wave, and I'm going to keep it moving. Because <laughs> back then I had out-of-state tags. That car would be gone by the next morning. Yeah. yeah your, so. your license plate might be sitting there. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. Now, so I don't, I don't go home t- too often. I never did ROTC when... I was in high school, but what was, what was the experience like? Like, I, I know you guys did some competitions, but when you first sign up, you know, you get, I don't know, you got to wear uniforms. Did they give you, did it seem like you were in the military? Um, No, it was almost, it was, I looked at it more as like an elective type thing. So when you got, when you go there, your parents signed you up, it's like one of your additional classes. So you have the Gerald TC class which you just get for credit for graduation and, you know, stuff like that for your studies. And then if you wanted to do the drill team and all that other stuff, that was just like extracurricular fun. Like it didn't really count towards your grade because not everybody had the money to go, you know, send their children on a trip, you know, to eat with or whatever the case may be. So the main part of it was the classroom part. Um, You only had to wear your uniform one day a week, which if I recall was like a Wednesday. Um, and again, that was for like grades. You'd have to give, you had like a chain of command. Uh, I think I went in there. I started as a, probably a PV2 as far as JRTC rank goes. But by the time I got out of it, I was the battalion commander. So yeah, it has like a little, a little rank structure. It wasn't a whole bunch of people in the program. I would say maybe at any particular time we had 30 cadets going through the program or in the, in the programs. And um, it was a good precursor for the military. I did not have plans to join the military. My mother had plans for all of us, my sisters and I, to join the military because that's just how my mom was. One's going to buy her house. One's going to buy her car. It was going to just give her money for <laughs> GP purposes because everybody has that mindset that the military makes a buttload of money, but they yeah. do not. I'm comfortable. No. I ain't rich. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> I know in two weeks I'm gonna get I'm gonna get more money. That's it. 
You're right. So I actually joined the military. I actually, so I got engaged in high school to my first husband. And I actually had got like some sort of scholarship to go to West Point. And I went to the orientation and I didn't like it. I was like, I'm, I don't want to go. Again, stupid in love. But I was like, didn't, didn't want to go. Didn't want to be in New York. You know, didn't want to leave my bubble. Camden was just getting hectic. So in my 16th, I was 16. So it's probably what my 10th, 11th grade year. I actually signed up for the army at 16, but I couldn't leave until I graduated the next year. So I left two weeks after high school graduation and joined and it was in basic training. Now, you didn't do the delayed entry. You just I did it for a year. I did it for that year because I had signed up. My mom signed my contract. Me, me and my mom signed our contract at 16. But I had to wait because you, you couldn't leave until you were 17 or in, in your like your, your senior year after your senior year. My fiance, he did split up. Because he was doing reserves and he was a little bit older. So he did basic training one summer, came back for his senior year and then did AIT the next summer. Okay, that's what I was asking. I didn't I didn't know it was called split up. I thought it was just a delayed entry. Yeah, no, I did straight delayed entry where I couldn't do anything. I had to wait. And when you met with the recruiter, did you did they give you all your options for for MOS choice or did they just say, hey, this is needs of the army. This is what we got for you. So, no. So I have a cousin who probably at that time was maybe, I'm not sure it was ranking. It probably had to be an E5, maybe at the time, maybe possibly even E6. So I already knew I wanted to do some form of paperwork because I had already been working with my mom. She was a secretary for MetLife. So I already knew that's what I wanted to do because I would do it with her on the weekends at her job. And I liked it processing paperwork and stuff, whatnot. So when he, when me and him met up, he was like, well, you know, think about um, looking into being a 75 Bravo. So at that point, there was no one talking to me about enlistment bonuses, the blah, blah, blah. I didn't figure out or know what an enlistment bonus was until I was at MEPS. So with my recruiter, I was like, I want to be a 75 Bravo. And that's pretty much where we went from there. He didn't really throw too much other stuff at me. I had already took the ASVAB test and did pretty decent or whatever. Again, I just assumed I was taking a test. I didn't know those scores really meant anything. <laughs> you know, like you should try harder, harder in this section or that section. But I just took the test and 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 he was like, your scores are good and we can get you your 75 Bravo. Like I said, it wasn't until I got to MEPS where they were like, oh, you could have did this and you would have got this. Da, 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 da. I was like, no, <laughs> let me just stick with 75 Bravo. <laughs> I, I'll roll with that. Y'all throwing too much stuff at me. I just want to get out of Camden. Like, just when do I ship out? That's what I'm, that's all I want to know. Yeah. So, so they didn't necessarily lie to me. I don't have any ill will to any of my recruiters. I would say the only thing I wish they had not said was, there's not going to be a war in the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, I mean, I, I didn't even have that problem. I joined in 96, so war wasn't even a thing. That wasn't anything on the radar, so we didn't even have to mention it. It was, you know, by the year 2000, I'm going to get out with some college money and, and go to school, and then I decided I liked it and stayed in. So where was basic training for you? Fort Jackson. So, yeah, good old Fort Jackson, Alpha 239. That's where my basic training was, and then we literally marched up the street <laughs> The Charlie 369 for AIT. And I did AIT them right there in good old hot South Carolina. What month and year did you did you hit basic training? 
July 2000. Walk me through that first day you get off the bus. Now what? Um, so like our JRTC kind of prepared me for basic training to a certain extent, minus the elemental factors of it. I remember them yelling and screaming, but I just I have this way of just compartmentalizing stuff. And like I'll just put that in a box and deal with it later. But I remember them telling us we couldn't have no snacks. That's the part that hit home for me. I was like, <laughs> no snacks. So I remember them yelling there, like, we're gonna do hydration and all this other stuff. You're gonna carry your bags. And I was like, that's cool. I was actually in shape at some shape, because basically AIT got me in more shape, but I was in a shape when I got there. Hey, shit. And, yeah. <laughs> now, were you still doing martial arts before you before you left? Yeah, I was, but it had kind of started to teeter off a little bit because we just between prom, graduation, and working because I had to. I've had to work since I was thirteen, so it just all was starting to become too much. So I was trying to relax a little bit before yeah. I went to basics. I, I I went from being a teenager with adult responsibilities but now jumping into adult life without that break in between graduating high school and becoming a full-time adult i didn't really have that uh that grace period that people and you had. were engaged still at the time too so i was engaged yes different level was... of responsibility than most 17 18 year olds at that point exactly exactly um so i remember going to basic that PT test, that was a little bit of struggle because we ain't run too much in Jersey. You know, we have buses. So <laughs> so I did struggle on that run just a little bit, but I, I did keep my head up and was able to, to skim on through. But I remember the canteens. I remember that, like yesterday, they had a whole bucket of canteens that was like in bleach water. Mm-hmm. And that's how they disinfected them for the new troops. And they would give them to you, tell you to rinse out, and you had to like do... What is it? You had to stand there in formation, hydrate. Everybody had to drink like a whole canteen within a certain amount of time. And I remember telling the drill sergeant, I was like, hey, drill sergeant, I said, I don't know what it is. I said, but I can't drink out of thick plastic like containers. I don't know what it is. It, it's just, I, I can smell the plastic and it it it, it does something. And he's like, I remember him saying, you're going to drink it. You're going to drink it. And I was like, okay. And I just threw up all of it. Oh, my of course, God. Of course, now I'm in doing push-ups because I don't think... I done threw up the hydration, but it wasn't horrible. I didn't, I didn't like the roll march. I didn't like the roll marching. I, I mean, other than that, everything else I kind of breezed through and it was hard to stay awake. I remember basic, it was very hard to stay awake. I don't know what it is, what they do in those classrooms. Cause it's not like you, you, you have a limited time to go to sleep. You get to bed at a reasonable time. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you're not used to waking up at four or five in the morning, then that might have an effect. I can I re- distinctly remember fall, I never had a problem falling asleep like or being tired in the middle of the day. I never had that issue until I went to basic training. And so much so that when I I never drank coffee either. And mm-hmm. I could not stand the taste of coffee, so I would put half my coffee cup up half with chocolate milk and the other half with coffee and that worked for a little while. But, oh, I call that a cappuccino. I got when I went to Iraq, that's I got cuz I didn't drink coffee until then. And the MRE packets used to come with cocoa and mm-hmm. a couple, um, a little thing, uh, instant coffee. I do remember the MRE. Uh, once my drill sergeant showed me, he was like, look, don't mix the coffee in water. Take that little packet and put it under, on your, under your tongue or in your lip like tobacco. 
And once I yeah. figured that out, I never went to sleep. Oh God, he he had it going straight to your system, mm-hmm. no rerouting or nothing. Yeah, I'm not built like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was the only way I could do it. That from that point on, I was like, okay, this works. I, this is how I'm going. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, I just remember basic training in AIT. To me, for even once I got to the duty station, everything just, if I had to look back on it now, I categorize it as like a college experience. I don't know why. It's like, because you're, you're meeting a bunch of people you do not know. You're forced to all live together in one little area. You don't know everybody's quirks, kind of like the dorms. Mm-hmm. And you're learning things you didn't know previously. And that's kind of what it felt like to me. I just felt like I was in one large on-the-job training for like 18 weeks <laughs> of my life. And that's encompassing basic and AIT? Yeah. So I think, okay. if I recall, there were nine weeks each or eight weeks each, something like that. And now, because you did JRTC, you went in as an E4, right? I went in as an E3. E3, okay. So mm-hmm. you got a leg up on everybody. At that point, I did. I did. All right. Now, going from basic, walking down the street and going to AIT, I can only imagine like you're now you're going to AIT, you going from being highly restricted in basic to now you can earn your phase and kind of start to have a little bit of freedoms. What was that? That first day in AIT, now you got you still got drill sergeants, but it's not as chaotic a lot of people think because i was an admin and we went to admin ait they kind of think it felt like that being in the air force because it was just admin no we got smoked our first day when we got up there to ait and i I, i've been smoked for people eating cookies and basic training at the defect i've been smoked for much smaller things we got smoked because when we got marched up from basic to ait we had to go across the, the um the courtyard mm-hmm. and in the courtyard at the end of each company they had a painting on the ground they marched us across the painting on the ground we hadn't even gotten our drill sergeants yet we had not been switched over yet the drill sergeants taking us in for ait smoked the mess out of us so we got smoked so bad that the sergeant major for the academy his office was across the street pointed to our barracks he had to put a stop to the smoking because we got smoked so bad. I'm talking bear crawls in the grass with the fire ants. My hands were tore up, roll right, roll left. He was like, no. He's like, y- y- y'all are just doing just a little too much today. He was like, look, just stay off the painting, stay off the grass. My cell phone got taken the very first day because I assumed, like you just said, we had more freedom. We did not. Wait, 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 wait. You had a cell phone? So when there was like a couple of days in between graduating basic training in AIT, and we were told that we we were going to be able to have cell phones in AIT. So a few of us went to the PX and opened up cell phone plans and whatever, whatever, whatever. But we got the wrong information. So when we all got up there and they had a, was going through our bags outside before we got assigned our rooms, they confiscated our cell phones. I think we couldn't get our cell phones back until like phase two, the second half of AIT or something like that. I thought I was going to have more freedom. They lied to me. 
That's crazy. Only, yeah. The only difference you had between being in basic and AIT was you had a pistol belt with a wet weather top, top attached to it. And that's how people were able to differentiate you between basic training down the street and AIT. Did you, so it, it was it rolled up on the back of the pistol belt? It was. Yep, yes. I, I remember those days. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It All right. So cool. AIT, as you cruising through after that first smoking you get on, on that first day, how long before you got to your phase to get your civilian clothes and your cell phone back? Mm, I want to say halfway. I want to say halfway through. We were given day passes. You had to be back by a certain amount of time. So, I mean, the only thing we could really do was catch a cab and go to the mall. I think I only went to the mall maybe once or twice. And then I think my fiance at the time, he came down and visited and he stayed in a hotel for the weekend. And so I would go see him. But that was just for like that one weekend. And then there was another hotel party where there was a, like a party party after going to the mall. I didn't stay there too long. It was some crazy stuff going on. And um, But I remember all of us running back from the hotel to make it to um, PM formation. Cause if you ain't made it back, you wasn't finna have no more passes. Yeah. <laughs> so I I remember that much. Um, getting our civilian clothes. Couldn't nobody tell me nothing because I had dropped a lot of weight. I will thank the army for that at that <laughs> at that point. Um, but yeah, it was we were still kind of like in that high school mentality. I think at that time, I probably would have said the army was like a job. Being as though I'm older and I've still dealt with soldiers throughout my last 20-ish years, it's a career. If you stay in past your first contract, it is no longer a job. It is a career. You might as well just keep on going and slide down the other side of the hill, do your 20, it'll be over before you know it, Yeah. and go on and work if you want to work. So, I don't think people understand that enough. You know, I, and I, I wish, part of what I want to do with this platform too, eventually, when I have a lot more time and and resources is maybe see if I can get with recruiters and, and young recruits to try to build more career soldiers. Cause I mean, most people go in and they get that first taste. They think that the army is something like a video game that they played. You know, it ain't call of duty. You're not going to put camo on your face and walk around with a, with a M4 every day, all day. There are, just mundane things that you have to do day to day. And it is like a job, but I don't think they prepare people enough for that. When you're first going in, they, they hype it up. They show you those stupid videos where you're marching and you're running and they don't show you the GI parties and the, the crazy smoke sessions in formation and regular things that you're going to be doing PMCS and vehicles and, and goofy stuff like that. That never get fixed. That yeah. never get fixed. Yeah, they don't. They don't show you those things. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think if you better prepare somebody that's going in at seventeen or eighteen years old, and you let them know, like, if you stick with this for twenty years, when you're thirty eight, you're going to be ahead of the game because you can get your degree, your bachelor's, master's, one or the other or both, still have your GI Bill when you get out. And you're going to have a pension and be ahead of all your peers at 38 years old, 39 years old, 40 years old. And you still have time to go and complete another career. Not to forget, you have your VA loan. You have mm-hmm. a home without too much headache. You know, every, every 
home buying process has a little bit of a headache. But your first one, two, your first two years of the of the army can't speak about any other brand. Your promotions are automatic. Yep. As long as you don't mess up, you going to get promoted. Now, where you, where you go for the rest of your career after that, rank wise, is on you because you have to, you know, you have to make moves. And I tell people all the time, don't don't mess it up. If you know you don't like it and you think it's not for you, try your best not to mess up. Because as far as I know, the military is the only job I know you can get fired from and get that less than honorable discharge and the civilian world will look at you sideways and probably not hire you. Yeah, McDonald's will hire you at the next McDonald's if you get fired, you know. And that's why I try to tell people, like, if you're going to if you're going to do it, make the best of it while you in it. Think about it. It's, it's all going to be attached to your future. Even if you do one contract, it's going to benefit you. Throughout your adult life, like I said, I did that one contract. I'm now in my 15th year of federal service. I have five more years to a federal retirement. I'm 41. That's the other thing, too. Learn every single thing that you can in network. So I worked for the VA for a little bit and it was a guy. He had served in the Marines for two years of a four-year contract, dishonorable discharge. And he had been telling everybody, you know, no, the the VA, they're denying me my benefits that I earned. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. I'll go by the script as best I can. But at some point, this guy, somebody has to tell him that, no, the VA ain't denying your claims or your benefits or anything like that because the VA is denying it. The VA is denying your claims because you got a dishonorable discharge which makes you not eligible for anything. Not only does it make you not eligible for for pretty much all VA benefits, you can't even buy a weapon because you got a dishonorable discharge. That's something that people fail to realize. Like, Like you said, this is the only job where you get fired, you get the boot, it will follow you everywhere. There's a question on damn near every application. Have you received a dishonorable or anything other than an honorable discharge from the United States military. That's grounds for denial right there. You hear people, ah, you know, F the army or F the Marines or F the Navy. All you had to do was do good four years. And guess what? Now you out here working for somebody and you can't get a better job because it was F the military. Mm -hmm. To me, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to all you literally have to do is be a decent human being. That is it. A decent human being and common sense. That's all That's all they're looking for. That's why they're willing to take you right out of high school. You cannot drink until you're 21 because your brain is not fully developed. Yeah. But the military will take you undeveloped in hopes that they will develop you into the type of soldier that they're looking for. For people who have nothing going on in their teens, what is it going to hurt you? The, first, the When I bring up the military to some of my relatives, my younger ones, the first thing they say is, I don't want to take orders from nobody. And I turn around, I ask them, I said, when did you hit the lottery? Mm-hmm. Because if you have to go to work on Monday, you're answering to somebody. Exactly. I, I, I don't, I don't understand this mindset. Is some people are just stubborn, and but you know, everyone, I always say everyone is where they are in life because that's where they choose to be. And I leave it there and then I walk away and I'm like, if you're if you really want to have this conversation, you know where I'm at. I'll give you the ups. I'll give you the downs. But there ain't no job out there. And I wish I had this mindset before I got out. I mean, but I got med I got med boarded out. No job is going to pay you to be fit. 
and give you, pay you for the time. Now, I granted, we signed that contract. You're a soldier 24-7. If you do the math versus what you pay, it's pennies on the dollar, yada, 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 yada. But you also don't have dental. You don't have health care. You have any type of services you may want to get to. Now they got food stamps for the soldiers, which mm-hmm. is weird because if you just pay me enough, I won't need food stamps. We were using WIC with my first daughter. Yeah, but now they have a program within the Army like you can go through ACS. I believe it's like FSSA, Supplemental Food, something, something. It's like it's kind of like food stamps. I think you use it at the commissary most likely. Um, but on top of those other programs, you can apply with for the state should you need them. That's um, insane. And like you said, it just pay me more. <laughs> we good. But you know, though, it's like, again, when when people look at soldiers, I have to disavow them of that cloud that comes over their eyes. Like they want to hold military to the higher standard standard. I get it. But at the end of the day, you are hiring people with people flaws, with people problems. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I'm a soldier, but I'm a person who may not be financially savvy. I'm spending money on stuff that don't need to be spent on. You know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. buying this, the, 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 the. They are still people at the end of the day. So when I tell people don't try to hold them so high, it's because people will disappoint you at some point in their lives. And that if they're not built right, they may not be able to take that. Being knocked off that pedestal. One thing I can say, though, is there's a program for everything in the Army. It's just finding it isn't always easy. You know, but there's a program for everything at little or no cost. You can do anything. You got to be able to find it. It's there. So if you know you got struggles financially, there's a program to help you learn how to be financially fit. You know, if you if you want. What's that? It's progression. Mm -hmm. The army has changed so much from when we were in to what it is now. So, like, for instance, there are more programs now available because there are more findings of things that are wrong with people now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like mental health. There's more mental health facilities and treatment programs now for the military than there was when we were in. Because when we were in, I feel like if we felt like we were having a mental thing, if we were even to acknowledge we felt like we were having a mental problem, it was you were kind of looked at crazy if you said you wanted to go to behavioral health. Let's let's start the chapter process. Yeah, it was like let's go and get you chaptered out. Now there's so many things. When I got out. I was I was going through the med process. There was no WTB when I got out. Right. So working at the WTB in Virginia, when it was time for me to leave um, to PCS to Stewart, I actually cried in front of the battalion thing because I understood what those soldiers were going through. Those who came in with the mindset, I'm going to retire and now I have this injury or um, or problem and I'm now being put out, I deeply connect. That was one of my best jobs. I connected with those soldiers on a different level. You know what I'm saying? So it is progression. Things are have gotten better. From what I understand, there's a stress card that was thrown out a couple of years during basic AIT you could put out for the drill sergeant. <laughs> you're, you're having a moment. Can you not yell at me card? I, right. I don't know. I've never seen one. Those were not around in 2000. But... Um, they they are progressing to something better. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, I you know, I I applaud them, but at the same time, from from just to the tail end of 
when I was getting out. It it just seemed like the quality of soldier was just diminishing. I mean, I feel like right when where when we were in, we had fun, we were disciplined, but it wasn't as soft as it is now. I literally I can remember having a soldier. So I was at Fort Stewart and I worked in post headquarters and I was on staff duty. And I remember we got a bunch of recruits come in from Fort Benning. And I tell this story a lot to people that don't understand like the, the, the character of people that are coming in right now. And I, I had this guy, he kept coming into the, the office and I'm like, you know, dude, you gotta, you gotta be in the barracks. We're about to go and do head count. You know, your platoon sergeants are going to come meet you guys. And this is an infantry guy. So I know they trained you how to follow orders and he's coming straight from Fort Benning. So he comes back in and he has his cell phone and he's like, Hey, my mom wants to talk to you. Like, okay, cool. Whatever. So I talk, I'm talking to his mom and she's like, yeah, he has to come home. Well, it doesn't work that way. And she's like, no, no, it's a, it's an emergency. So it's okay, ma'am. If it's an emergency, then you need to call the red cross and they'll route the, the information to us and we can get him out of here. But you can't just call me and expect me to send him home. He's from Oregon. We're in Georgia. I, you know, I, I can't even give him a, a pass to go home. Right. So she, I was like, you got to call the Red Cross. And she was like, oh, I, I, you know, I already called them. And they told me that the, it wasn't an emergency. So I was cool. like, okay, well, then it is what it is. I mean, you, you know, wait till he gets to his unit, which will be in two days. And if they want to send him home on leave, then... You know, it's it's through them, but I, I can't do anything about it. So right then the first sergeant walks in and I hand him the phone. I'm like, hey, this lady is on the phone. She wants to have her son come home. So he goes in the office and like two minutes later, he calls me in. I go in there and he gives the soldier his phone. And he was like, do you know why he had to go home? I said, I have no clue. She just said it was a family emergency. This guy, the mom called and is asking the first sergeant to send him home because his cat has separation anxiety and has not come out from under the bed for like a week. And they don't know if, if the cat's dead, it hasn't eaten. So he's the only one that can get the cat out from under the bed. Mm. And that's what we had coming in the army at that time. And I'm thinking to myself, if this dude is that babied by his mom, Right now, we're getting ready. We're we're gearing up for a trip to Iraq. Like, what the hell is gonna happen when he's over there in the battle? Like, is he gonna be worried about stuff at home? That's you know, who knows what could happen if this is the type of stuff that she's got him worried about when we're getting ready to go into a combat zone. And at that point, I was like, I'm done. I can't, I I do not want to lead these these soldiers coming in here anymore. And it just got progressively worse. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe that. And we, I mean. We we laughed about it at the time, but, you know, I mean, think about something like that. You got a young soldier that's about to, I mean, I knew he was going to a mechanized unit, so he's going to be right out there in the middle of the fight. We're going to Baghdad, so it's about to be crazy for him. And, you know, he got to worry about if his cat is okay. From AIT, where'd you go? Went to the good old 101st. Going on from AIT, they... You know how, I don't know if they had to did it where 
you were in AIT. So when you get, I knew where I was going because it was in my contract. So they put us all in a room and was handing out people's orders. Now we had some people who were there that were going into the reserves, yada, yada, yada. And I remember this short soldier, she was a reservist. She was like, I'm going home. I'm going home. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Then they called her name and it was like, Japan. She was like, what? So I don't know what happened, but she ended up being able to take it. And I believe she went active duty. When they called me, they was like, drum. I said, what? I said, no, no. Um, let me go get, get my contract. So I got all that stuff situated after I had a heart attack about going to drum. Went to Campbell January 2001. Got to Campbell. It was very cold. It was raining. Back then, everything was very cheap. Apartment. Uh, I got to the unit. I was married at this time. I got married on hometown recruiting. I got there. Um, sadly, that soldier had just passed away from reception. Reception used to be those big white, I would say, what, 1970s style barracks mm-hmm. like old hospitals. I got there and they said, OK, you're going to go to Charlie Company first and 58th Aviation. I'm fresh in the Army. So that was all like a foreign language to me. I was just like, OK, stayed there, got to the unit. I believe you guys were coming back from Kosovo. Kosovo. Yeah. Uh, first Arm Russell. Good old first time, Russell. He was like, okay, so we're gonna get, we're gonna get you the Barrett's key. We're gonna get you a Barrett's key and set you up in the room. I said, huh? I said, first aren't I'm married. I got married in route. He was like, oh, we weren't tracking that. I was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, all right, well, we'll we'll get you with your NCO and see if we can get you guys a place to live. We stayed in the hotel, I think, for maybe seven or eight days and then ended up getting an apartment right outside gate one. And I had Sergeant Clouser. I don't know if you remember Sergeant mm-hmm. Clouser. Yep. Great guy, great mentor. I was very sad to see him leave um, when he left. And then I sat in the office a little bit from by myself at uh, Charlie Company. That was my first and only duty station. And then uh, let's see. After Clouser left, I didn't have an NCO for a while. And I got kind of proficient in the job as a four, as an E4. But they kept sticking air traffic controllers and seals in my office who could not fly or ground or do whatever they do. So that was the only thing I didn't understand about the military was because I have to have an NCO, I have to train that NCO to do my job, even though I'm already proficient at the job. And then y'all keep switching people. So other than that, that was at Campbell. I have not too many bad things to say about Campbell. It was it was a fun time. Went went to war from there. Um mm-hmm. You know, we were assigned to Fort, we were attached to Campbell and assigned to what the 5-8th in Bragg. In Bragg, yep. And I remember my husband at the time going active duty. He was over at field artillery, uh, which, you know, is a part of Fort Campbell. Mm-hmm. And I remember him being very little bitter because. Our little unit, even though we kind of got tossed around like little rag dolls, you know, go to this mission, go to that mission, da 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 da, with the other units on Campbell. I would say First Sergeant Russell, and I cannot remember the commander's name, Captain Thomas. I can't remember his name either. Caucasian guy, blonde. I remember the other two after him. We were like kind of like the redhead stepchildren, I felt like, of Fort Campbell, but it kind of benefited us in a way. Because I remember us, the training schedules would come out. We had Fort Bragg's Donzas. We had Fort Campbell's Donzas. 
And anytime there was a four day or whatever, um, there was no four day for a month, they would plug one into the training schedule. Like we were always off because y'all were always on like missions. So any any chance First Sergeant Russell could get for it, y'all to have y'all downtime to recover and recuperate, it was always like built into the schedule. And I remember he was like, Thursdays was Sergeant's time. And he was like, if you in the parking lot after 315, <laughs> you might as well just stay. And everybody would just be gone. So I have very pleasant, I don't really have unit experiences that have made me frown upon my time in the military. Like I know some people that have been to units and he just hate it. Which you know? I, I honestly, I mean, I, I guess I can see it to some extent, but I'm, I mean, I, I had a lot of units. I, I went to a lot of units and mm-hmm. I can't really say that I had overall a bad experience. Now there were some bad experiences mixed in, but that's with anything you do. But I, with every unit that I've ever been to, I have always had, far more good experiences than bad. There may have only been one or two people that I didn't get along with, or I just didn't, didn't like for some reason, but every, every person, every other person that I came in contact with was amazing. And I'm still in contact with in some capacity, or I know I can find them and reach out to them and it wouldn't be anything right. negative. And that it was felt more like a family to me yes. at one five eight. Yeah, whether you lived in the barracks or not, we we always had fun. And there was that was one of the, the first units that I had ever been to where there was no intercompany issues where it's like motor pool against finance or ATC against admin. It was none of that. We all just, you know, came to work and we we hung out. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Like I don't remember too many people. Like, I mean, yeah, you had to hate to getting up, coming to PT. You know, no one wants to get up that morning and then be outside in the cold or whatever. But, you know, the cool thing was first, I didn't want to be out there either. So right. it's like, <laughs> it made sense. Like, I think that company ran off of common sense. Be where you are supposed to be, do what you're supposed to do, and then enjoy the rest of your life. You know, enjoy the rest of your time with your family. And it was like, anytime there was a, I felt like anytime there was feeling like a beef between the different sections, we then we would have like a um we would have the pie fight for donations. You had you paid, you know, and it was and then everybody would be reset and just have a good time. Like I said, I I've looked at other people when it comes to them being a unit, and they're just the thought of having to get up and go there on a daily basis stresses them out. Like you can visibly see that it's almost making them ill. Mm-hmm. that they have to go and do this job or work with these people. And everywhere you go, you have to learn to find the good stuff. You got to find a way to make the best of it. I don't like this part of the military, but I like this part. How can I be in this part more and not be in that part that I don't really find enjoyable too much? And a lot of people I feel like who have that problem of not enjoying it, they allow their recruiter to pick their job. Yeah, they they went into something that they didn't have they they didn't have a choice, and it was probably something that did not didn't fit them at all. Mm-hmm. I I felt like I was supposed to be an air traffic controller. Everybody, every time I tell people that, oh yeah, I was an army air traffic controller. Oh man, the air traffic controller is such a stressful job. And my response is either I was meant to do it, or I was just too stupid to know that it was supposed to be stressful. I, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> it it wasn't stressful at all for me. It was it was a lot of fun. 
Well, I'm going to tell you, your job is stressful. Okay. I'm going to tell you your job is stressful. <laughs> Sergeant, in Iraq, Sergeant Guthrie asked me if I wanted to get on the mic to try to do something. He said the whole little speech that you're supposed to say. I said, take this mic back. Take this mic. I'm going to go back down and make sure y'all get paid. That's what I'm going to go do. That's what I'm good at. I'm going to go downstairs and make sure y'all get promoted and paid. And I'm good. Y'all can keep all of this stress up here. I say it's, it's crazy. <laughs> no, you, you, with, with your mindset and, you know, the experience that you have probably going, uh, coming in when you came in and going through JRTC, I bet if you would have gone to Fort Rucker and went to school, you probably would have been a good controller. Oh, thank you. I think I would have been good at it. It's just, mm, I don't know if that would have been in my wheelhouse at that time. <laughs> I don't know. Now, it yeah, was I'm, it was a fun job. I mean, you know, but you but you were you were real good at your job. And the one of the first times I'd never felt uncomfortable about turning in paperwork and knowing that it was going to get squared away. I don't have to follow up because it, it's going to get taken care of. I did have some really good admin people at other units, but there was some petty people that, you know, you you know, okay, if I if I take this this paper, this document to this person. They don't like me, so they're going to sit on it for a week. Mm. Yeah, I never had to worry about that at, at Fort Campbell. I appreciate that. I, because it's like, I don't like people to stress. And I, because everything, is, when it's, I don't know how it is with air traffic control, but when it comes to like the HR part of paperwork, we all have to work like a cog in a clock. If one cog is off step, it messes up that hand going all the way around, which is at the end of the day, it's always going to equate to money. You don't turn that soldier's promotion stuff in on time. He ain't going to get his money on first. If some PT scores and all that stuff is not put in, he's going to be flagged or he ain't going to get his money. You know, it's, it has to be done. And I hate to sit there and see something sit on my desk. One, because then that makes me think I have future work to do because it's sitting there. Yeah. I'd rather just do it, knock it out, go about my business, I see y'all in the parking lot. Hey, I turned that BH in. You should be good by the 10th. I holler at you. See you on Monday. People, I don't know. They they look at HR for the military kind of, I feel like some people kind of look down on it. But if you don't have that, your cooks and your medics. You, you ain't got really nothing. And if you don't take care of those people, <laughs> I mean, you're going to have a long, long, long journey. Yeah, you know, if, uh, money problems, and then you have people with dependents that are depending on the pe on the soldier. That's hence that's why they call dependents. You know, so it it was it's a very rewarding um, job, and it was actually something that translated over into my civilian life as well because I still was in the S one shop um, for a few years after I got out on the civilian side for the army. Well, let's talk about that since Fort Campbell was. Your one and only duty station. We won't too deep into because we were together during 9-11, which was kind of a, a chaotic couple of weeks there. We won't dive into that. Now, after you left, you said you you worked in the S1 shop. Were you still at Fort Campbell or did you go somewhere else? No, I stayed at Campbell. I got out in 04. I stayed at Campbell all the way till 2013. So when I got out at Fort Campbell. I didn't know anything about the GS system other than it was a federal job. And most people that I seen working in federal jobs were older people, which means they are going to die out of their position before they give it up 
voluntarily. So there wasn't anyone to guide me because now you have, I don't know what it's called now. I think it's like taps or something like that. But you know how you ACAP and you had mm-hmm. that whole year? I didn't have that. So before before going to Iraq, I was I was in the process of being medically chaptered out. I volunteered to go to Iraq because my husband was going to Iraq. My dumb self thinking Iraq is the size of New Jersey. I'm going to be able to see this dude <laughs> when, whenever I want to, you know, not thinking what I was really, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have no weapon when I went to Iraq. I didn't have no uniform. I just had the tough box, just barely shipped that off because I was on my way out. But, you know, when we went to Iraq, it was a numbers game. So the more bodies they had, it, the more we looked like we were pushing forward. So right. I was able to go, did my time in Iraq. So I came back and was out within three months of coming back from Iraq. So I didn't have that ACAP time where they tell you about the civilian world, what your options are, what's available to you. It wasn't pushed as hard as it is now and in the last couple of years. You know, there was no resume writing, all this other stuff. Right. Interview practices. Right. So I kind of floated around job wise, uh, because now I, I was separated pending divorce. And I was like, I worked at the guest house for three days. <laughs> that was flex. I was like, this not going to work. I worked at in Hopkinsville at an auto parts factory, making parts bigger than my body. Yeah. I was like, wait, wait. So this, this is, this is after you got back from Iraq. This is after I got back from Iraq. I okay. got out February, 2004. I probably say I was on unemployment for maybe six months after that because I didn't get a retirement check. I wasn't mil- I wasn't medically retired. Okay. I got a severance pay. And back then that didn't that didn't go very far because we had just purchased a home. Yeah, I worked at an auto parts factory and then Obama came and he said he wanted veterans to have jobs. That's when they started doing gate guards at the gate, but okay. as contractors. So I finally got picked. I got picked up as a contractor on the gates for probably about two years. And then Obama said he wanted veterans to have jobs. And then they switched over to Department of the Army security guards. So I did that for about eight years. But again, there's no one to teach you how it works. It's okay. I'm now here. I'm a GS4. I really don't know what that means. I mean, I know what it is as far as looking on your pay scale, but it doesn't it doesn't tell you how you move about, how you can move jobs and stuff like that. So as I progressed in it, I stayed as a four because Clarksville, you know, at that time was fairly cheap. Being a GS4, you can make ends meet and stuff like that. But like I said, you weren't going to go into a nine because everybody on Campbell that was a nine had been there for years. So it wasn't until me and my second husband got orders to Fort Belvoir. And that's when I was like, oh, there's other routes I can go. Oh, they didn't tell you you could move laterally or up into different GS positions? Okay. Wow. No. What they were saying then was you had, you were only able to move up to two steps. And because we had just, you know, got the guard force together, everyone was already in that step. So no one was going to be moving no time soon. So there's people who are there now that was there when I was there and we were all entry guards. They're now lieutenants and, and whatnot. But here we are 13 something years later. I, yeah. I that that wouldn't have that would not have panned out for me. 
your federal time or all that. I wish there was someone who can who would have been able to break that down, like your times of service. This is really how it's going to benefit you, help you and things like that now, because I would be way farther in my career if someone guided. Or not giving me wrong information. You know what? That's a good idea. Maybe I'll add that to the list of things to do and helping uh, new entry recruits maybe helping GS level employees that are entry level too, because mm-hmm. it's kind of confusing when you don't know, especially when you come into an agency that absolutely needs you, they ain't going to tell you that, you know, you can look at job postings at USA jobs and apply while you're still in a position. If you, you know, if you got time in that step and grade, then you can look at another job and go up a, a grade somewhere else and you know because you're already a federal employee you could laterally move or move up to a different agency nobody you know they don't tell you that because they need you yeah i didn't i didn't even learn like i said i just hit my 15 years and they count three years on my military because um going to iraq or whatever mm-hmm. i just found out last year that if it's open to the public you don't have to jump the two steps in your field that you're currently in. If they open a job announcement to the public and you apply and you meet the criteria, because, you know, you don't always have to have the 52 weeks at the lowest grade. You can have experience that equals up to that and apply and get it. I said, well, you know what? I guess it's never too late to learn, but uh, this would have been something great to have known, you know, back then. Yeah, that would be a good talking point if you can find some way to put that into your uh, into your show stats and stuff like that. Heck yeah, that's something that I, I didn't even think about it. Military members going into federal employment. I was one of them. I don't even know why I didn't think of that. So Fort Belvoir, this is with Wayne? Yes, I am now at that point probably married three and a half, four years. I now have my second child. All my kids are nine years apart. I got to be mentally prepared to have these children. It just works out for everybody. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so my little girl, I was able to transfer the job from Campbell, the gate guard, to the the gate guards on Belvoir because they were just standing up their guard force as DA civilians. I got there. That was seemed like a very big safety hazard, so I didn't stay doing that job too long. I was like, I I just, too many people have guns. I'm going to have to go find uh, employment elsewhere. So I did end up leaving that job for a little bit and got picked up on Belvoir. Belvoir worked out, stayed on base. Everything ended up being two-minute drive, work, daycare, kids' school. It just it just panned out. Husband's job was five-minute drive down the road. So uh, we stayed on the installation because the cost of living in that area is traumatically high. Now, and Belvoir, is that outside of D.C.? It is. It's outside of Alexandria, Virginia. It's pretty much in between Quantico Base, Belvoir, and then D.C. Like, there's one road. There might be little side roads also, but there's, like, one main road that are, that you drive X amount of miles. You'll cross into all of them. But where we stayed at when we tried to live off base when we first got there was seven miles from Fort Belvoir. It took us an hour to get to work. I told my husband, I said, said, we're going to have to compromise. We're going to have to live on base. We didn't want to initially, but we were paying $1,685 a month for 
a thousand square foot, maybe twelve hundred square foot apartment. That's insane. Yeah. So I said we we gonna have to bite the bullet and, and live on base. And it ended up being the best thing for us. I mean, it wasn't the best housing on the on the within the whole installation, um, but it was nice enough for us to live there for the three years that we did. Yeah. Now, how far is Fort Belvoir from home for you? Four hours, three and a half to four hours. And at that time, your family was still there. They're still there. Um, we are not a very close knit family where we have that urge to, I live so close. Let me drive down every other, every other weekend. I got burnt out driving home from when I was in the military. Cause even when we would have four days, I would drive from Campbell to Jersey, which is like 12 hours, but no one would ever come back down to visit this way. So by the time I got to living in Virginia, I was like, the highway works both ways. I, I'm not, I can't just keep picking up. So if y'all want to see me, here I am, open invitation. <laughs> but uh nah. Nah. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was it, it was pretty close. It was pretty close. I had some relatives come and visit for a little for a little bit, but uh, nah. But the, it worked out because um my oldest daughter, her dad was at Mead. Okay. So it, 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 I, I can honestly say on the military side, active duty and as a spouse, we have kind of been blessed as far as where Uncle Sam has sent us. Yeah, you I mean, I, we'll, 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 we'll get to the best part um, in mm-hmm. a sec because we were talking about it before we started recording. But you got you de- definitely got lucky. My first duty station out of Fort Gordon was Korea. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember you you talking about sitting in that room and they're handing out orders and you hear the horror stories. Nobody wants to go to Korea. They, oh, you got to work all the time. Uh, you could go to war at any point. You know, North Korea is firing gas over and all of this stuff. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to go to this place. And then, of course, I get orders for Korea. And it was probably some of the most fun I ever had in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why people are trying to avoid this place. But you went from home down to South Carolina and then from South Carolina over to Kentucky and pretty much back up close to home. So that was, that was pretty awesome. And, and not, and all of the bases, like none of the bases except for Campbell were known as high deployable bases. Mm -hmm. And then we went to Stewart after that. After Belvoir or after? After Belvoir. Okay. So what years were you down at Stewart? 2017 to 19. Now, I want to cover something because we, you know, we went over kind of how you felt as a soldier. You ran the S1 shop. Well, running the S1 shop, like you're filing paperwork for, uh, you know, soldiers that are getting married, soldiers that are getting divorced, all their finance paperwork. And you got to keep in mind that they might be married and have kids. But now you're out and you're on the outside of that looking in, what is it like now being a spouse as opposed to being a soldier in uniform? So I, I even after I got out, I did, I did it for a few more years S one, but as a civilian for the army, for the hospital and for the WTB on uh Belvoir and at Stewart. It's crazy. When I was a soldier and because I was married to a soldier, it is, you don't think about how the unit doesn't deal with the spouse. 
like the spouse just can't come up and be like, hey, so-and-so, my husband didn't get paid, blah, 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 blah. We have to deal directly with the soldier. Being a spouse who, especially if I'm not in an S, in, in S1 shop at the time, which, you know, regulations don't change too much. You know what I'm saying? Right. When my husband has a problem, and my husband's one of those ones where he knows I'm a vet, he knows I'm a soldier, he knows what I've done for the military and what I was doing as a civilian. He, he doesn't come to me for information when he has like a pay problem, me as a, someone who knows, I'm like, let me see your LES so I can figure this out, break it down and tell you what it is. So you don't even have to go to your S1 shop. He don't do that. He don't do that. Yeah. He, he want to go to the S1 shop and let them sit and wait. And I'm, I'm like, let me see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm that person. Is your PT test up to date? Is this up to date? So when I encounter spouses, I kind of look at it as a plus I know what the soldier is going through and that that helps me keep my nagging down, you know, because I, I know why he's moving the way he's moving Yeah, to a certain extent. But when I see spouses, like I'm on, I'm in a group now on Facebook for this, ba- for this base and they are literally having separation anxiety because their spouse has to go to the box for 30 days. What am I going to do without Tom? Tom is, I'm like, Turn the TV on. Get a book. Get a book. Like, what do, what do you mean? Life goes on. Join the gym. Join the gym. Take up knitting. Like, what do you mean? What are you going to do? You're a whole individual person. But I get that's just some people's personalities. And it's usually when you're in the first years of marriage and everything is still rainbows and kisses and it hasn't died down. And you've been with this person since the honeymoon. And, you know, you're like, oh, they have to go and be in this sucky place for 30 days. I'm yeah. I'm an introvert when I'm by myself and I'm extroverted when I need to be. Yeah. So for for my for, for me, for my husband to be in the field, I'm like, cool, that's a break. I ain't got to pick up nobody's <laughs> socks. You know, I, I you know, he's a great man. I love him to death. When they have that problem, they don't understand, well, why can't they give me the information? Because just like your spouse can't go to your job and ask your boss for why are you not getting paid $20 an hour? It's it's the same thing. And I think yeah. because they mistake that the, the unit bases, like the physical building is so open that anybody can just walk up. But I don't, I don't know. Well, I think I it's probably know. more like, because unlike any other workplace, you know, again, we, we, we got to hammer that. I think that it's because the units bring everybody in as a family. We have those those days where spouses come up or we have family day and the commander and the first sergeant are buddy buddy with the with you know with your spouse. They may know your spouse by name. And I think that a lot of times, or Sergeant Mayshack will have specialist so-and-so and sergeant so-and-so over for beers. And you know, we're talking shop. And my wife might know that you work in the S1 shop, you deal with finance. So she might feel inclined to be like, hey, you know. She knows I need a copy of something. She might ask you, hey, can can you know, can you shoot over a copy? That, no, that's not how it works. But, that, you know, it's a dynamic that's not like anywhere else where if I work mm-hmm. for Walmart and uh, my boss has a, a Christmas party or something and we go over there, my spouse ain't asking my boss like, hey, when are you going to get this due to raise? Or, you know, if I come in, can I get a discount on this TV? Your husband has a definite, uh, definitely a leg up in if something looks off and he don't understand it, you absolutely do. 
<laughs> right. And that's why I tell most of the times, like, don't, don't even, don't, don't stress. It's just some, in, some of the spouses wear their husband's rank. And I have to remind them, you are a regular person. That man or woman can divorce you tomorrow and you will just be the ex-spouse. Mm-hmm. Like his, I, I tell my husband all the time, every time he get promoted, we got promoted. Okay. Because I, I'm on his neck. You know what I'm saying? But I would not dare go out there and get into a, a fussle with somebody and be like, well, my husband, Staff Sergeant Clark, you know? Yeah. What that guy do with the price of tea? He ain't here. He ain't fighting this battle. This means you're bad. Like, I, that's the only thing that annoys me. But even when I was working, and I work now with the military still, when you cross my threshold, there, I, I don't recognize, I mean, I recognize your rank as far as like, I'm going to address you as so. I'm going to talk to you respectfully. But because you need something, if it's not life limb eyesight, I'm not going to take specialist so-and-so's packet and put it down to handle your situation because you're staff sergeant so-and-so or sergeant major so-and-so. Yeah. First come, first serve. I, I got to do the work regardless. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, you know, and I know you probably experienced it when you were working as a gate guard where, cause I, I can remember when we, when we had to do duty working at the gate, if you, I mean, you clearly can see that it's a spouse or it's, it's, a dependent child driving a car with an officer sticker on it. And they want you to salute. You, you don't salute. I'm going to tell my husband or, you know, you just disrespectful. Like, well, clearly he ain't in the car. Right. So no, how are you going to get tell us that we, They tried to tell us that we salute. And this is when they had them on the car. Luckily, they didn't have them too long on there by the time we became DA civilians. But they want, they tried to tell you, salute the car. I'm not saluting a vehicle. Right. Show me the break where it says I salute a vehicle. I, was, I salute the individual now. By the time they come up to me, I am now checking their ID card. If you are not the soldier, I'm not saluting you. Yeah. What am I saluting? You could have married this man yesterday. You. What, what am I saluting? You didn't serve anything. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, I mean, that was always touchy being a gate guard um, because people assume we just flipped IDs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We we have to deal with DUIs. We have to deal with espionage. We have to deal with um, domestic violence. It's crazy. I like we have to get pepper sprayed every year. We still have to take a PT test twice a year. I mean, now granted, it wasn't no Marine Corps standard of a PT test, but you got to remember a lot of people are vets with disabilities that are on the gates. So them them be out there doing you know the little mile and a half or whatever. You know, you just never know who you encompass when you're at these places. But as far as the spouses, if I could just tell spouses one thing, it's not for the week. If you are somebody who needs to see your dependent, your spouse on a daily basis and you're the soldier, then don't get married. If you're the spouse, be prepared to have them taken away at a moment's time. At any time, deployment, you know, whether it's scheduled or not scheduled, my husband has been deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq, one each. I had to Skype my daughter's birth. I set up a camera, uh, a laptop at the hospital when I gave birth to her, and he did not see her until she was three weeks, um, three months old. These, I knew what I signed up for. And I think some people need to know what they're signing up for when they decide to get into a relationship or make children 
with soldiers. Coming to that realization takes time because with my first husband, I remember, even though we're both active duty and I know somewhat about the army, I remember telling him, if you weren't there for the first, for, for this baby being born, because I was pregnant when I got to Fort Campbell. I said, if you're not here when she's born, we're getting divorced. Now looking back on it, I'm like, girl, really? <laughs> you yeah, know what well, that, That's a crazy thing to say. <laughs> right, but because we had been together since high school, and we were making all these lifelong um, moments together. You know, we graduated. I graduated in the morning. He graduated in the afternoon. We went to prom together. We got married. We did hometown recruit together. We're together, 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 together. So for me, I'm like, you wanted this baby. You better make, you better find a way to be here. Yeah. Now looking back, I'm like, yeah, did he really have a choice if he wasn't going to be there? No, <laughs> no. You know, but that comes with growth. But. Yeah, yeah I, I see it. Being married in the military, it can be hard. How often do you have to correct things in the Facebook group? I don't. No, you don't bother? I don't. Because some people are doing it just to vent. And then some people are just doing it to have conversations with people. And then you'll have people tell you you're wrong. But how I view it may not be how they view it or their life may not be set up to do it the certain way that I'm saying to do it for their situation. So yeah. most of them, I just look, and if it's too negative, I I move on. I don't I don't really comment. And also, I hate when people post anonymously because I can't respond anonymously. And I and I still work on the base. You know, what I'm saying I work on this base, and I have to talk. I talk to people every day because of my job, like all across the base. I never know who I'm talking to on the phone. So I don't mm, job security. I'm not putting my name. <laughs> I put my name on Becky's marital problems. No, Becky, the building next door. No, nope. Nope. (laughs) Okay, that makes total sense. So how about PCS and as a spouse? Okay, so our first move from Campbell to Belvoir, we did a Diddy move. Mm -hmm. And I told him, never again in my life will I do a Diddy move. Everything, if you prep for it, the better outcome you will have. Like I said, I'm not doing no more Diddy moves. So we haven't done Diddy moves since since then. Now, let me just say, for those those people that don't know, Diddy stands for do it yourself. Yes, sorry. So this is the only duty station after we got to Belvoir where I could not see what was going on as far as where we were going. Because working in the S1 shop, I was able to stay on top of stuff. Like, where's this? Where's your orders? Let's go over the installation, see if we get them orders cut. What I do... Anytime I know we're going to PCS somewhere, especially if I, if we're lucky enough to get orders about six months out, I'll start having yard sales. I start sorting through the house so that I'm not taking a bunch of junk with me that doesn't need to go. Of course, if you're going to go overseas, then you got, you should probably go lower and lower in, in your household stuff that you have. So I do that. And then I throw stuff away. And then I give all the kids clothes the goodwill that I know they're not going to fit once we get over there into the next season, don't take that mess with us. Mm-hmm. And then what I do job wise is I will clear all my anything that I have credit on, credit cards, loans, whatever. I either pay them all the way down or enough to where maybe unemployment will carry me. But I save 50% of my check. So that way, while we're in limbo, me picking up a new job, there's no added financial stress on my husband to to fully um, 
have to worry about keeping the household running. Because I'm not the type of person, I'm not going to ask my husband for money for hygiene items. I, I, my soul will not let me do that. So I, have to, so I have to keep some money in the bucket somewhere to make sure we're comfortable. We don't have to be balling, but we have to be comfortable because finances ruin marriages. Mm-hmm. And I took struggle out of my vocabulary a long time ago. So that's that. And then what I try to do is I try to get a job before. So when I went from Campbell to, to Belvoir, I actually left a month early to start working at Belvoir and I secured the apartment while he closed out the house with the kids in Tennessee. See, that's so smart. But, yeah, I'm just trying, I just try to keep stuff going because I have I have I have that little I have a little tick, a little kick, you know, everybody's got a little tick, a little kick sometimes. That if if stars start to fall, it, I lead, it'll lead me into a depression, and I just try to stay above it. I try to keep maintaining because there, once that financial part is done, there's only so much you can argue with somebody you've been married for 13 years for with. What are we gonna argue about? Now um, you just so think, that, you're on cruise control now. Yeah, yeah. I just I just try to keep the peace. I try not to nag. Try not to nag. People gotta understand. If they don't have the orders, and that's generally what will trigger a fight during the PCS, or because they don't know where they're going and they don't know when. Always prep like it's happening in 30 days. But like I said, that was a good thing with me being in shop. I was able to see where we were going before it was on paper or, you know, talking to career counselors at my job and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it you can. there's so many things you can do to prep for a PCS. You can call the daycare center to the base you're going if you know you want to work and you're not that stay-at-home mom. Call ahead, put them on the list. Housing, get on the list. Start looking for apartments beforehand. If you're stateside and you're able to travel ahead to, to look at homes, because when we went from Belvoir to Georgia, I actually had to stay behind to close out some stuff for work. And he went ahead. And what he would do is he would Skype me back houses that he was looking at for us to come to an agreement for where we were going to live. That is incredible. Man, you got so much knowledge and your strategy, I think, could benefit a ton of people, especially young spouses that have they might be going through their first PCS or or their second and their first one was botched. And, you know, they got some sort of anxiety going into the next one. Like you said, it, it can put a major, major strain on a marriage. You have a ton of knowledge that you could potentially push out there, and we'll talk. We'll talk about some things offline. But I'm I'm anxious or interested to hear if we can put something together to help help some of those spouses out. But let's. I I want to talk about your trip. So you went from Belvoir to Stewart, right? Or did was it the other way around? No, it was Belvoir Belvoir to Stewart. Okay, and then after Stewart, where'd you go? Germany. Yes, let's talk about that. <laughs> so when you heard that you guys were getting ready to PCS to Germany, how did you feel? Because, I mean, at this point, you can't really use the strategy that you use, you know, getting getting ahead of the game to go find a place. So now you're going somewhere, you don't speak the language, you don't know the culture. You There's a money difference with the euros. You don't know how far that base is from what's available to you. So What's going through your mind now? You're getting ready to head over to Germany. So I knew we were going to Germany before we had orders. I knew we were going to Germany um, because we were coming up on re-enlistment time. And they were telling my husband, this is your options, this is your options, this is your options. I was like, 
you can't tell me he's needs of the army as an E5 with all these years. You can't, you just can't tell me he's just needs, it's just the needs of the army. So I was like, hey, I don't know what y'all rule is at your unit with as far as talking to career counselors, but my career counselor is willing to talk to you, you know, because we had one at my um my job. I worked at the hospital. I said, if you if you're willing to talk to her, because I don't want to overstep my bounds as a spouse, if you're willing to talk to her and, and if it's the same, it is what it is. But if she tell you there's other options, because he already did Korea. He went by himself. He did a year by himself in Korea. I was like, I'm ready. I said, people don't come see us. So there's really no incentive for me to stay here in the States. I Wait, said, so where were you when he went to Korea? I was at Belvoir. Okay. So you were still in Virginia. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I said, there's no incentive for us to really stay in the States because it's not like family is coming all over water to come visit us. So I said, let's go give our kids this experience. You know what I'm saying? So can't nobody impress our kids with a trip to Atlanta. and <laughs> And, you know, and, and get some more raw experience. So everything mapped out. They was able to get him Germany. We just, we didn't really know where we were going in Germany. So once we found out where we were going, what we did was I reached out. Of course, he reached out to his chain, of, the, the oncoming, incoming chain of command for the sponsorship program, whatever. Find out what they needed to tell him. I started calling the housing office. Hey, what is your processes to get on the list? Because I already knew I wasn't going to live in the economy. Yeah. You know, so I was like, um, because I, I wasn't going with a job. I was going to have married um, spousal preference because I was giving up a GS federal job. Um, but I had not yet, you know, been able to look and secure um, a job going forward like I normally would try to do. Yeah. So housing told me what their what their um, what their process was to get on the list. There's two bases. Then you tell him how many kids you got and, you know, all that stuff. So he had to, we had to go get our passports, our international pass, military passports on top of, we already had our civilian travel passport so that it wouldn't slow anything down. We would still just go over there. It was, jet lag was harsh. <laughs> it, hit, it hit us hard. We all thought we were okay. When we got over there three days later, we just started passing out left and right. We took the dog. We made we had to see what the process was for well, taking taking an animal over there. Once we got there, we stayed in a hotel, I think maybe for like a week or so. We ended up getting two rooms because of the amount of family we had in the dog. They had messed up our reservation some sort of way. But you get there, housing gives you, I don't know if they do it now, but we had three choices of where we wanted to stay. We had to go look at them. Picked one right across the street from the PX. It was the largest unit, which it's not. There are single duplexes on one of the bases. We were in V Spotten. Okay. So we stayed, we stayed, we didn't stay on Clay Concern. We stayed on Heineberg Base, which is mainly that's where you have your PX, your commissary, and mostly housing and a couple of daycares. And the schools are there. So we stayed on Heineberg, literally a, a half a half a minute walk to the PX. That's why I gained so much weight going to the food court. Um <laughs> Uh, we had one vehicle shift. We found out how many vehicles can you take. So I left my car here in Florida with um, my in-laws and we took his, his truck over there. Um, I can't really complain. They're very efficient. There's a shuttle bus between both uh, bases um, that are driven by the local, um, the local Germans. So it's on time all the time, <laughs> every day. 
Um, unfortunately, we got there right when COVID hit. So COVID hit. I had just started a job. And then I went from, I probably worked there 10 days before we were remote for like 18 months. That worked out because I had a toddler, I had a one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old, no, one-year-old. He was eight months when we got there, sorry. Eight, nine months when we got there. So that worked out. We were able to save money for daycare, all that stuff, because everything was closed. And then we didn't need it because I was remote in my job. Um, my job didn't mind. I had a really great job out there. What, what, what did you do out there on base? Um, so out there, I worked for uh, DCAA, which is Defense Contract Audit Agency. And I was one of their office automation um, clerks. Okay. Um, and their office was actually in the economy. It was like an old hotel, like maybe a, say like a Holiday Inn that the government bought and turned it into um, a government building, a U.S. government building. That was cool. There was great people. I was very sad to leave because... They just let me live my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, we ain't going to talk about you leaving yet. I want to know the experience. Like once you guys got settled in, you have your job. Um, I know COVID happened uh, shortly after, but once the restrictions were were lifted um, and you could actually get out and about, we I know we used to go back and forth with your travels. Um, yeah. Like So, yeah, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say just, you know, Talk to me about some of the the cool things that you got to do while you were there. Like, what was the where was the first place you wanted to go once you guys had some downtime or you had some downtime? Baby's a little bit older, so now you feel comfortable taking him out. Um, so, where'd you go? In all of my years, I always said below sixty five and above eighty degrees. I'm not going outside. I have no desire to be outside in the elements. I go to the beach looking for shade. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It wasn't until the world told me I could not go out that I wanted to go out. Yeah. So as far as traveling, I kind of have to work within my ticks that I have from my time in the service, which means I'm, I'm usually very hypervigilant. And so, like, even with my kids, I don't take my kids grocery shopping with me. Because I need to be, I need to watch my surroundings at all times. Yeah. And if I'm watching to make sure that they're A, not getting to anything or no one's like trying to take them from me, I get very to little done. So I, I, I have to do a lot of pre-planning before I go somewhere. Now, as far as the places I've been, I, because I was doing security for the travel for the people I was working with, I would go into the system once I picked the place where I wanted to go, but the places I went was only dependent off a company called Ryanair yep. in Germany. Ryanair is the bomb. Yes. Ryanair, if you can, if you were able to pretty much live out of a backpack, you could go to other countries in the, in the EU for dirt cheap money. And you would have like frontier prices with Southwest service. Mm -hmm. So that would depend on where I was going was depending on how cheap my ticket was going to be. Because usually I was very last minute with stuff. And I remember telling my boss, I said, I said, hey, sir. I said, so we have our orders back down. They're all civilian. They're none of them are military affiliated, not married to military, but they're federal service um, uh, civilians. I said, hey, we have our orders. 
I said, now I, I can do this one or two ways. I said, I can start, I can um, request my resignation for May so I can travel all the places I wanted to go from May to, uh, from May to, from May to August. I said, or I can just submit a leave form for every other weekend or whatever and then still work all the way through up August. So he was like, just do your leave forms. We'd rather have you work through the end of August. I said, all right, cool. So I normally will go into the security system to see what the warnings are for travel mm -hmm. for, for Americans. And then if I feel safe, I will. And then if I were to pick a hotel, most of the time I'm traveling by myself because my husband, he's not big on traveling. Like he, he won't, he'd rather stay home and game. That's, that's how he decompresses. That's his thing. I will, so like, I went to Santorini. I went to Greece by myself. And I will pick a hotel. I will then Google Earth the hotel because I want to see if you're lying to me. Can I not see the sea? I want to see the sea because your picture says I can see the sea. Right. But I also want to see what's around me because you'll have very nice looking places that are just photographed well in the hood or just a part of them sees what you're seeing in those pictures. But I also, then I'll, I'll look up the crime and then I'll look up and see what weapons are allowed in that country. Because Man, you went a, deep. I'm a, yeah, I'm a solo traveler. So I'm going to have something to protect myself, whether I get it from a local restaurant or, or not. So what I would do is I have a, an alarm I would carry and I carry even here in the States. I have my alarm that just looks like a flashlight. You yank it and you get like a really loud, high-pitched alarm sound. Of course, and then my I girls would, have, have that. Mm -hmm. Or I would carry my cubiton, which is probably about 10 inches long and it has ridges in it for, you, for your fingers to wrap around. And you, if you hit where it hit somebody on the collarbone with the pointy end, it's going to hurt. Like if you were to just, it's not going to stab them, like cut them, but it's going to hurt because it's pointy. You can use it to break glass in a car. So I would have that or I would have like a local steak knife from, you know, a restaurant or something from my hotel, something to carry with me because I was, I'm by myself. I don't know the language, but to get around the language part, Google has Google translator. And if you put it on camera and you just hold it up to whatever you're looking at, it'll translate it for you into English. So that's how I got around a lot as far as restaurants, eating directions and stuff like that. Did you yeah. learn any German? I did not. I did not have enough interaction with the locals because of COVID. I really didn't have any um, interaction with them other than like at the mall. And most of them working at the registers and stuff were young enough that they understood English. You really didn't you really didn't have a problem with communicating with some of the Germans unless they were the older Germans. So you it's solo traveler. Um, what, what's your husband's MOS? Because I'm he, got he is an MP. He's okay. an MP. So he he definitely ain't afraid. He knows that you can handle your own. Yeah. He knows I'm also not going to go anywhere dangerous. Like, not dangerous, because everywhere is dangerous. But he knows I'm not going to go. Well, you know, I'm not going to lie. Wait a minute. Let me backtrack. So he he had to ask me because of the type of trips I was taking. He said, are you, are you going to die? And I said, <sighs> no, what do you mean? He's like, because you literally are going up volcanoes and I was like no I'm not gonna die I, I, COVID we're just gonna I'm gonna wrap this around and blame everything on COVID <laughs> <laughs> because I did take some wild trips but he knows I'm not 
going to, I'm, when I go out to these places, it's not like I'm going to go to a club yeah. where someone can put something in my drink. You know what I'm saying? He knows I'm not going to do anything to, I'm going to try to mitigate any type of danger I could be in as much as possible. Like I'm, and I'm in before it's dark. There's nothing I want to do at nighttime that I can't do in the daytime. You know what I'm saying? I am very much, I need to see, see what's coming at me. You know, so other than that, he's just like, make sure that, that somebody's watching the baby. I even took the baby with me. How long were you guys in Germany? Were y'all there for the whole 36 months? Yep. Yep. The whole 36 months. Santorini wasn't your first trip, right? I can't remember which was which, but no, it, it wasn't. I don't think it was my first trip. Santorini ended up being a week long because of how the flights were. Um, I don't want to pay a lot of money. This particular airline only flew in and out on a Wednesday. So like I was there for like seven days. And then I was like, okay, I know what kind of experiences I like to have when I'm out doing things. I was like, I have to make sure the budget is budgeting because I don't want to blow a lot of money. So I actually learned a lot of tricks to travel when going to other countries where if you're going to another country, so let's say you find something on booking.com, you know, all the ratings is hitting where you want it to hit, all the reviews are hitting how you want it to hit. Those places, so like, I stayed in two places in Santorini. One place, usually it's $600 a night. It's high up in the mountains, or you can see the sea, whatever. They had an opening in their calendar where that room was going to be un- unoccupied for that one night. So I got it for $300. And then the other place I found on booking.com or whatnot, I called the people directly. They were like, they, I think booking.com wanted 1,100 euros for like the four or five days or whatever. They did it for eight just by booking directly with the actual company. So they're willing to negotiate because they take such a large gap. But I've been, I went to Santorini. I went to Corfu, which is another place in Greece. I went to Iceland, went to, Syracuse. It's a part in Italy we went to, but we ended up driving from there to Syracuse, Italy. There's this one picture I had on my page where I'm sitting up on like the ancient Greek pillars. It's like it's like it's like a faraway picture, but it's it's, it's like the Roman pillars. That's Agrigento, Sicily. And we got to these places for like I think our plane ticket, me and my me and my friend of mine, she went with me. I think our plane ticket was $80 round trip. The car rental was like $100 for four days. And like or maybe our Airbnb thing we stayed in, I think, was like $150. And that's split between two people. Growing up, and I hate to say maybe it was an inner city thing. I don't know. So you know how you would have the textbook in history class. They teach you about this, the Romans, da, da, da. They never made it seem like it was a possibility for you to go to these places. Right. It was always, it always the way the education was presented to me, like in America, was like, these are where the Italians live. These are where the Chinese live. It was never, you can go over and see the Chinese people, how they live. It was never presented like that. So like in Germany, it blew my mind where I went to go to a Chinese place and this lady spoke went from German to Chinese to English. And um, so like she would talk to me in English, talk to another customer next to me in German and she would talk to her people in the back uh, behind the shop in Chinese. And I was just like, the way your brain works, it's amazing. It's amazing. You never think of seeing other cultures in these places because I literally thought I was going to get to Germany and it was just going to be Germans. That's it. It's it, it's a it's a melting pot. Well, and they I mean, we're conditioned here, like you said, 
to to think that this is the center of the world, the center of Earth, and you know nothing outside of this matters. And I I have so many contentious conversations with passengers that I have when I'm doing Uber, where they they constantly oh the world is screwed up, and I have to re- remind them no the world is a big place. The world's not screwed up. Your world that you see is screwed up. I can assure you that if you just flew somewhere else, while there might be a different set of challenges, it's not nearly as bad as what you think it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to constantly remind people. And when, they, you know, we're, we're the freest nation on earth, I have to remind them, okay, then go get on a plane and try to go to Barbados or... You know, try to try to go to Greece, try to go to Spain. I bet you can't go nowhere. I bet you can't leave this place. You don't have a passport. So how free are you? Mm-hmm. What you just mentioned about a lady going from speaking Chinese to speaking German to speaking English, that's not abnormal outside of this country. Most people speak more than two languages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just takes getting over there to see that. And I, I swear, I, I feel like, Every single person in this country should be able to get a passport for free so they can go somewhere. Right. There's, there's so much beauty out there and it'll make you appreciate what you have here if you could go see other stuff somewhere else. Everywhere has its bad areas. Was I in fear of being shot? No. Stabbed? Possibly. For the most part, they mind their business. Mm-hmm. Follow the rules. Follow the rules now. Don't leave your car running for more than three minutes because you're killing the ozone. Don't mix your glass with the plastic because they're going to come after you. But they, it's this peace. Yeah. In Italy, they're closing down them shops. They're taking their siesta. They will see you at dinner time. They are all about working because you have to not work until it kills you. Yes, exactly. When we went to Catania and we drove down to Syracuse, we got there probably about 5.45, but it's considered the off-season, 5.45 at night. Do you think they served us? Mm-mm. They gave us some wine. It was like, man, we close at 6. It's the off-season. Every shop on this on this whole island is closing at 6 so they can go home and have dinner with their family. I said, well, I'll be. <laughs> I said, I'll <laughs> eat these crackers. No problem. I'm not mad at you. Well, and you're um, right on the beach, too, so they're... They- they for sure ain't sticking around because they know if if you start getting tipsy, you're enjoying your view of the sea. They're gonna be there all night. Yeah, so they will. They 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 said we stopped serving half um, thirty minutes prior so that everybody can be out of there at six thirty. No no overtime, no none of that. And they don't really care for tips because they make a good wage um, out there doing what they do. It was just such a an experience, and I wish more people if they're able because I feel like anyone can go anywhere if you plan it right if you plan within your budget and your limitations you can go do and see whatever you want mm-hmm. you may have to it may take you six months as opposed to 30 days right and you might have to give up you might not be able to go to Starbucks for a month or two it's all about what you want what you want to do because usually what I I will do if it's not a last minute trip which I'm back here in the states and I can't do last minute because the prices of these flights are not going to allow me <laughs> to do last minute anything here usually if I wanted when I went to like DR in Mexico and stuff here I bought my plane tickets one month 
Let my money go back up. The next month, I'm booking the hotel. Pay that off. Let my money go back up. I never spend money out without money coming in. You know what I'm saying? So smart. And then if we want to do excursions, we'll handle that when we get there because it's always cheaper to to buy your excursions at the hotel. You know, so it's just I I try to plan as much as possible because I've been at the highest high and at the lowest low of not being able to do things I want to do. If people, if you can go overseas, go. If you can go even for a week, just go. We brought my mother-in-law out there. My mother-in-law came out there before we came back here. And we took her to Disneyland Paris. She had a blast. We used our military discount, half price ticket. I want to say my husband was probably free, but I, um, or if not, he would, at a minimum, he was half price. I planned everything out. Got everything done super cheap. Had a had a ball, and I don't even like Disney like that. But you gotta go for, if you're over there. Yeah, well, because his mom works for Disney in Orlando. She's coming up on thirty years, so we go there every year, and it's hot. That's so down to the heat. Yeah, but, but she did go. And she got to experience that Disney park, and it was it was cool. The trains a one, a one. Never late. Always got one coming right behind it. Decent prices. I got to Switzerland on the train. It took four and a half hours. I sat in first class. I think my ticket was $98 round trip. Stayed in a hostel for $98. I was going to mention hostels earlier. People just don't understand. Like, you know, everybody asks me what what my fascination is with trying to move back out there because I'm dead set on, on going to Portugal. But it, I mean, you you don't understand until you're there how just if you're open minded and you you're able to take some time to just research, you could do anything you want and live like like you got the most money in the world, but you really don't. Like I said, I was so excited for you when you were putting posting your pictures and going on your trips over there. I, I didn't realize that you know how much into safety you were. I thought you were just like you know what I'm about to do this. I'm I'm on my way. I didn't realize you were doing so much research, and but it's awesome, man. At least you got you got out of there. Not a lot of people from where we come from get up the nerve to just get on a plane and go somewhere. Yeah, I, but, I wish I would have did a little more research. I lose hair going to Switzerland. snap my curls right off trying to be cute up on that mountaintop. <laughs> it is very different for a man to travel than it is for a woman to travel. Absolutely. I can be the ugliest thing on the face of the planet, but they want that cookie. If somebody wants that cookie bad enough, it don't matter what you look like, what size you are, they're going to try you. So I try to have RBF as much as possible when I'm traveling, except for when I'm taking photos and stuff like that. But it is very much different for women than it is for men. Even when I'm here or when I, because my husband, he works out in Alexandria, which is an hour from here. I don't wear my wedding rings. When I go on vacations, I don't take my engagement ring because it's the, it's the biggest of the two bands. So I take the small wedding band or I don't take anything. I don't take it at all, depending on what I'm going to do when I'm out there. You know what I'm saying? Just because I don't want to make myself a target. I don't carry a purse when I go out there. I don't take like my big Michael Kors purse or not like that. I take a Winnie the Pooh satchel that goes around my front and I put my jacket on over my over my the straps. 
I don't want to victim blame and say, you know, did, whoever did this and that's how I did. I'm not doing that. I just I'm going to try my best to make sure I get back home to my children. Am well, I I'll do it for you, here? because if you if you're somewhere where somebody gets close enough to pickpocket you or stab you, I, I, that's that's a tiny bit your fault. Uh, only so only so much, because, like, depending on where you are, it's it's sometimes it's very packed. So, like, the mall down in Germany is very packed mm-hmm. when you're out in the courtyard. You know what I'm saying? Especially during Christmas holidays. you It's very hard to get through anything in Germany because of the Christmas markets. Everybody is like butt, butt to butt. So I can't necessarily Well, no, I mean, that. In, in that aspect, of course, you can, you can expect it. But like in a, yeah. in a lot of places in the wide open areas where, like, let me, I'll just use, use Rome, for example. I'm not, one, I, I, I've always taught my kids when you walk somewhere, even if you're lost, walk with confidence, walk like you're not lost. And then if you, if you really need to take a breath and you, you feel like you're about to panic, go somewhere and go into the bathroom, but make sure you're walking. If you're out in the open, you walk like you belong there. Like, you know, exactly what's happening, where you're going. And if you feel like you're about to have a breakdown, go find a bathroom somewhere, go in a stall, but do not let anybody see you panicking. And two, if, you see that it's a lot of people somewhere. I, I'm always on the outside of any crowd. I'm never mixed in. I'm against a wall. I'm, you know what I mean? Like I try to walk as close to the outside of a group as I possibly can. And I mean, if if it's absolutely necessary that you got to walk into a crowd, that's that's understandable. But a lot of those, like when we would hear about somebody getting their entire bag stolen, credit cards, passports first off why if you're staying in this city why you got all of that stuff in your backpack you know every single hotel in a tourist city has a safe leave your make a photocopy of your passport and leave your actual passport in the safe you know don't take all eleven thousand euros that you brought to the city with you here's the thing most of the people that leave stuff into safes yes i will say 75 percent of the time i do leave stuff in safes However, the hotel has the master key to that safe and they don't always be monitoring that safe because they have to come reset the safe when you leave. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So they have access to it. Sometimes what I will do, I never take all of my cards with me at one time. They're either in the safe or what I do is I lift the mattress up and I put it way in the middle of the mattress. So like even when they come make the bed, there's no way you can get to the center of that bed. It just depends on what it is. Like If I have an expensive pair of shoes or whatever, or whatever, something that's super duper nice, it's going under the mattress. You know what I'm saying? Because they expect it to be in the closet or in the safe. That's another thing you have to look at the reviews of where you're going, because most of the time you're not, you're not the first victim of them doing that at that location. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it it is it is very much crazy. Yeah, always have everything, copies of everything. Email them to yourself. Don't even just have them in the um in the safe. Have an email copy. Use the travel.gov um website to store your stuff. Go to the Steps Travel website. Let them embassies know where you are at. You know what I'm saying? People skip that step all the time. Oh well, I'm just going to Jamaica. Okay, last time I checked, Jamaica, beautiful place still suffers from poverty. I'm going to need you to let the government know where you are in case there's ever any civil unrest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And also, that's the first thing. Bookmark whatever city you're going into. Bookmark Mm -hmm. the embassy is. Go to Google Maps or whatever. So that even if you have your, you don't have service 
at least it's starred on your on your Google Maps. As soon as you open it up, it's already saved in there. It's crazy because like even my coworker, she's she's a lovely, lovely, lovely lady. I think she's probably my age. She's going on a cruise to Mexico next month. I said, did you get your passport? She said, passport. I said, ma'am, what, what do you mean? You going to Mexico? She was like, I don't I don't think I need a passport. She said, I think because we're we're going on a boat, we don't need a passport. I said, so you don't need the little, if not the passport book, you don't need the passport card because you're going into a port by water. There's like a little card they have. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still have it. They have but it. She said, she said, no. I said, well, do me a favor so that I know you're coming back to work the Monday after. I said, please check and make sure you that's not what you need. And she said, oh, okay, it says I don't need it. I said, order your passport now. Because you never know what can happen and you have to get off of that boat and then you're sitting in Mexico, a foreign country, with no proof to show any law enforcement officers should something happen that you're supposed to be there other than your boat ticket receipt. She said, oh, yeah, that's right. I need people just to, like, think ahead. Just, just, your safety is your own. You know know what? I don't even understand because we are... We're just a couple hours from the border. So a lot of people go down to a little town called Rocky Point down in Mexico on the Sea of Cortez. And before um, COVID and and there, before there was a lot of things going on, I think even before Donald Trump was in office, uh, a lot of people would go down there just for like holiday weekends and just take a, their birth certificate. There's absolutely mm-hmm. no way I'm just trusting taking my birth certificate down there that like get a damn passport. It's not hard. You, you spend more money in, in cigarettes and, and alcohol on the weekend at the bar. Then it, it's going to cost you for a passport. That's good for 10 years. I, I, sure I understand why, why people don't even think about that. I just got my mom, her first passport this year. She never had one. So after my daughter, daughters graduate, I'm taking her on a cruise. And then on her 70th birthday, I plan on taking her to Nigeria. That's what's up. Yeah, so she's never, ever been anywhere. So I'm going to start her off with little, little trips. Mm-hmm. And like people always say, well, how do you know what to do where you're, when, how do you know what to do once you're there? I said, stop doing, stop figuring out stuff, what to do once you're there. Yeah. I said, there's, there's too many websites to go on. Like I said, and because of my tics, I need to not necessarily schedule things out, but I need to know what I'm doing before I do it because I need to know what's the danger because I'm by myself. If I break my leg doing some crazy stuff, I'm by myself. No one can help me. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So there's there's too many internet resources for you to figure it out because what I've realized when people do take these trips and they say they're going to figure it out when they get there and they wing it, all they end up doing is sleeping. You could have slept at home. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, relax, relax but you know, see see what you want to do. But like I said, COVID helped me with figuring out my life a little bit as far as travel. But if anyone wants to go anywhere, I'll give you all my contact information. You can post it up on your site, you know, you know, places people might want to go and they have military uh, discounts. And most of these places overseas, if you are a federal employee, you can use your federal employee discount. You just got to show your cat card when you get to the hotel. And you know what? I think... I wanted this to just be about you. I think maybe we can do another another episode where helpful you, tips. You, yeah, helpful tips for spouses that are, you know, in need when they're when you're PCSing, whether you're gonna do a Diddy move or you're gonna have 
transportation, take your stuff, what to do uh, once you get your orders and you know exactly where you're going, what to look for before you get there and and just how to stay ahead of the game. I think that would be extremely useful if we can do that. And then, you know, it, it, the second half of that, we can talk about travel tips if you're going overseas or if you just want to, you just want to travel and you don't know where to start. So I think both of us have traveled enough, you more recently than me uh, overseas. You know, we we both have a wealth of knowledge that we can hand, hand out, but you have a system that I absolutely love. So I'm going to be taking some tips from you too. Oh, what, tra- uh, tra- traveling? Traveling, stuff? absolutely, yeah. I mean, because for me, like you said, it is different for, for a man traveling solo than it is for a woman. And I don't even, most times I don't think about it. I just, you know, I figure out where I want to go and I just go. I know enough about where it is that I'm going that, you know, I check into the hotel or the hostel or whatever, and I'm I'm just going to walk around town. 99% of the time when I first get somewhere, I'll look for like, I don't do Uber initially. I'll look for like an old taxi driver because you know that dude knows the entire town. And I'll just go up to him and say, hey, you know, if they speak really good English, I'm like, take me to the pub that you go to when you're off work. And and that's usually where we go. I end up, you know, like, how much would you make over the next couple of hours? Okay, here, here's 300 euro. Let's go sit down and have some, some beers. And that's how I'll meet, I'll meet people you know, that I never would have met if I didn't do that. And they just give me guidance from a local's perspective. And it's it's see, always older people. But see, you're also working off the premise that you're a free spirit. That's true. <laughs> I, I I am off the premise that everyone is trying to kill me. Like that's, I, that's just my mindset because I feel like the moment I'm laxing in that mindset is when something's going to happen. Does it cause me undue stress? Yes. Is a lot of the stress on myself that I've created, possibly, you know, but I would love to be able to do that as a free spirit. So that I am envious of, sir. No, no, no. See, that's but that's how you get put on like Dateline and and 48 hours and first 48. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, if 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 you if you roll in how you roll, like everybody's out to kill you, stay that way, because the minute you turn that switch off. That's that's when you walk right into a trap. Yeah. You know, yep. I, it it might seem like I'm operating as a free spirit, but my my head is always on a swivel. I just it, it's just that I appear, you know, I'm I'm pretty relaxed most of the time, but it's because I'm relaxed that I'm able to focus on 15 things around me. And it could also be, you know, being an air traffic controller where you got to constantly focus on everything. And you know, make it, it, it's, it's not easy, but make it look easy. Mm-hmm. I had someone tell me, what did they ask me? They said, so when you're on your travels, like you don't feel safe to do that. Like you by yourself. So like how somebody going to find you? I said every day when I get up and I get dressed for the day, I send a picture of myself to my husband. So he knows what I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Smart. Um, most of the time my GPS is on go, go life or whatever. If my husband's not following me, my oldest daughter is following me on Go Life. She knows exactly where I'm going as long as I have my phone. You're smart. You're experienced. And I think you got a lot to to offer a lot of people out there. And if I can help and I can push you to get to, to get the info out there, I'm definitely gonna do my part. Keep that in 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 you know in mind. Uh, I'm I'm willing to help if 
uh, if we can make something happen, even if we just got to sit here for a week or, or, you know, once a week and just, you know, come up with, uh, like you said, tips, travel tips, PCS tips. Anything we can like do that. Podcast. We can we can put some something together. Um, I'm not opposed. I'm definitely not opposed to trying something new. Well, I mean, like I said, you you got a lot of uh, of knowledge to give, and you can definitely help a lot of people. And hopefully, moving forward, we can we can keep this thing going, and you can help spread some of that knowledge. Like I said, I'll get offline with you. We'll, we'll talk about you when we get offline, and I'll tell you all the great <laughs> things about yourself. Uh, right. that I'm, I'm seeing but yeah this has been an amazing experience i wish you well and i hope you prosper with this and i hope it takes off you just you just never know when that one person catch one of your um one of your podcasts yeah that's you why know, i mean i'm just keeping it going i the the main thing and i've i've said this in a few different episodes but i'll say it again and the main reason why i started this was I just miss the people that I serve with. They're my favorite people. You know, being uh, COVID really hit me because like we talked about, you walk around here and it don't feel like home. You know, I don't feel like an American, even though I wore that flag into combat. I served under that flag. I fought and and swore an oath to the constitution of this country. And, and being here, I don't feel comfortable. That's, that's wrong. I don't feel comfortable unless I'm talking to another veteran or somebody that I actively served with. Um, So that's why I wanted to start this. And then it just kind of transitioned into something else where if I can, if I can put information out there to help another veteran out, whether it's VA benefits, um, whether it's looking at, um, you know, how, how to get past mental health challenges, um, just having an outlet, you want to tell your story. Cool jump on and let's talk and that you know mm-hmm. that and it's transitioned to so many things the ideas just come in every week or every time i talk to somebody something you know i feel like there's something else that i can um i can push out there and right now i'm limited because you know i still i still have to parent um i still gotta focus on that but pretty soon i'll be able to pour 100 into it and take this thing to the next level so um, right. and, and everybody that I talk to, everybody that has an idea that wants to get something out there, I'm going to pour that energy into them too. All right. So well, be prepared to have work. me hound you. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I telework twice a week. All right. I'm here. I'm here. Well, I appreciate you um, taking the time to do this with me. Um, this ain't, this is the first time, but it will not be the last time. And so thank you. You welcome. And like Thank I tell, no, no problem. Like I tell everybody else that I served with, um, I love you and I appreciate you. Love you too.